This is a sermon from the Highlands Congregation of Park Church. We hope it helps you walk with the Lord and lead others to Christ. Learn more and find more resources at parkchurch.org. Welcome, everyone. Today's scripture reading will be from 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 8. It's 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 8. Now, I would remind you, sisters and brothers of the gospel, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then the twelfth, and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely board, he appeared also to me. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. Michael, good morning. It's good to see you all. My name is Gary. I'm one of the pastors here. He is risen. He's risen indeed. And that means he's alive. Uh, one of the beautiful things about Easter uh, is that we're not just celebrating an, an event that happened almost 2,000 years ago. We're celebrating a reality that we live in a world where we worship a king who's alive. Same king who died for us, for our sins rose from the dead, and he's still alive, and he's still working among us right now. And so I want to pray that his spirit would actually awaken us to the beauties of the resurrection, not just as a hope in some future day for us, but a hope and a power that the living God is at work among us right here, right now, whether you're here in the building or at home, that God is with us, and he wants to speak to us through his word. And so let's pray and ask him to do that. Would you join me as we go before the living God? Jesus, we want to start by saying thank you. Um, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your pursuit of us, your faithfulness towards us. Thank you for the sacrifice that you made on our behalf, uh, that you would lay down your life for us while we were still enemies, even while we were running away from you, inattentive to your love and your compassion, you still laid down your life for us. And we thank you for showing us your power in the resurrection. Jesus, thank you for the faithfulness you show us now as the living God. Would you, this morning, awaken in all of us fresh hope, fresh joy, fresh love, fresh peace as we consider the reality that we live in the world of a resurrected king. We live in a world where a dead man was made alive and Jesus, where you reign as a king of heaven and earth. And so we pray that you would Help us today uh, to find hope and joy in your resurrected power, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. I want to start by asking you a question, and the question is, is sort of a worldview question, which is how do you make sense of the beauty and the brokenness in the world? How do you make sense of it? Everybody has a kind of way that you're processing your experiences, the beautiful experiences that you have or that you long for, or the painful and broken experiences that you have and that you long for. How do you process those? On a day like today, it's really easy to see the beauty in the world. 
It's really easy to see. Y'all look amazing here in the building. I'm sure you look great at home too, whether you're in your PJs or dressed up for fun. Um, You look amazing. The kids are dressed up. People are singing. People are worshiping. It's a lot of fun seeing people connect, relationships and friendships reconnected. There will be joy as people hang out and have food together throughout the day and get to connect with other loved ones and families. There's beauty all around us, and it's encouraging. I feel that especially right now in this season that we're in where it feels like the whole world's kind of coming awake. Uh, as we think about here in Colorado, everybody is now eligible for vaccines, so we all get to compete each other for an appointment uh, and try to race each other to CVS or something, you know, make friends with the CVS employee and see if you can get, get in there. But the vaccines are rolling out, which means businesses are opening back up, right? You might have to go to back to work soon. Uh, the schools now, pretty much most schools are in person, which is encouraging. There's more life happening in the city. Restaurants are being opened back up. There are new restaurants that are opening. Did y'all hear about the In-N-Out Burger that's opening in Belmar? Any West Denver people? Belmar? Yes, this is big. All right, there we go. He's risen. He is risen. In-N-Out Burger in Belmar. That's four in Colorado which in my opinion makes the whole state of California obsolete. Uh, We don't need California anymore now that we have In-N-Out Burger in Colorado. Um, There's so many exciting things, right? It feels like the whole world is like thawing out after a long, dark winter of the pandemic. And it's like we're coming out of hibernation as a people. And in Colorado, at least, it feels like creation itself is kind of joining the chorus. We got the grass turning green, buds on the trees, flowers beginning to emerge. And all these signs of life are designed by God to say something about him, that he's a God of beauty and goodness. It says something about the world that we live in, that the world was designed for beauty, both in its original intent, and it gives us this kind of longing and this hope for a beauty that is to come, this sense of a not yetness. We long for more beauty and abundance in life to enter into the world. And in the midst of all of that beauty, it's hard also to ignore the reality that over this past year, we have been dealt a fair share of brokenness. It's been a a hard year. I think almost exactly a year ago, I was preaching an Easter sermon to Steve, our videographer, in an empty room. And it was just me and Steve in an empty room on a Tuesday afternoon. And it was weird. It was weird. Weirder was sitting with my family and watching myself preach an uh, uh, Easter sermon. You know, like, do you take notes? Do you laugh at yourself? You're like, that was kind of funny, huh? You know, uh, it was weird. You know, we stopped that. After that service, we were like, if I'm preaching, we're going to watch another church because watching yourself with your family is awkward. Um, but it's weird. That, that moment when we were kind of all adjusting to the pandemic, it opened up a door into a painful year. Since that time, over 2.8 million people have lost their lives because of COVID-19. That's a devastating reality. Many of you have experienced that with friends, loved ones, and connections that you have. I lost two grandparents over this past year. So many things have gone on in the world around us, not just in the pandemic, but experiences of racial injustice that were devastating and grievous in themselves. But then the division of how to respond as a world to the racial injustices brought divisions in the midst of a politically polarized season that cut through families, churches, friend groups, co-workers. The divisions were ripping relationships apart. Kind of wrestling through as a church, how do we respond and interact in pain and disagreement and frustration even within churches and among Christians. And then there's the isolation that so many people have felt. And there's the personal things that you've wrestled with. Many of you lost jobs or went through financial difficulty. A lot of people struggling with spiritual doubt. 
I've talked to so many people as a pastor that are wrestling with real spiritual doubt right now. It's a hard season spiritually, emotionally, relationally. People wrestling through depression and anxiety that feels in some places just this sort of like white noise of anxiety in other places so acute that it feels debilitating, don't know how to move forward. It's been a hard year. And then I look around and I see kids. We've had to lead kids through these things. And kids, you've had to interact with some hard things. You've had to learn about virtual school and in-person school. You've had to learn about wearing masks and distancing. There are people that you used to be able to hug that you couldn't hug anymore. And that's hard stuff for a kid to process. It's hard stuff for adults to lead through. It's a hard time that we've walked through as a society. And it's heavy to consider. And so why would we consider such a heavy reality on what should be such a happy morning? It's because this is what Easter is all about. Easter is all about how God intervened into the brokenness of the world to give hope, to give life, to give restoration, to give hope that broken things can be fixed. In fact, that's what Easter is. Easter is the declaration from God that through Jesus, broken things can experience restoration. Broken things can experience hope, can experience healing, because Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died for our sins and rose again on the third day. This is what gives us hope, and it's hope that actually shines right into the darkest stuff of life. There was a church in Greece uh, in the first century in kind of south-central Greece in a town called Corinth. And this church was right in the middle of a society where there was kind of as an economic center, a cultural center, religious center. There's a lot of civic religion, people that were kind of giving themselves to the Roman Empire and all things, Roman gods, Roman Empire, worshiping these things. And a group of people had come to believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus. And in this community, they, they, were, they were growing as a people, but they started experiencing some real deep struggles divisions within their church, struggles with how to engage with culture, struggles within their friend groups, within families that were divided and how we're supposed to interact with each other. There was arrogance that was running rampant where there's competition and kind of people clawing over each other, resenting each other, not valuing one another. And so as the church was wrestling through these struggles, one of their founding pastors, a guy named Paul, began to write them a series of letters. He actually wrote four letters to the the Corinthian believers. We have two of them. We have the second and the fourth letter. The second letter we call 1 Corinthians, and the fourth letter we call 2 Corinthians. It was that second letter, 1 Corinthians, where Paul is speaking into all of this difficulty, the struggles, the brokenness, the pain. And what he's doing all throughout the letter is he's addressing the different areas where they're feeling brokenness and pain and experiencing division and confusion, and he's bringing the gospel to bear on those things. He's saying, how do you look at this situation through the lens of the death and resurrection of Jesus? How do you look at this situation through the lens of the death and resurrection of Jesus? All throughout the letter. And then when you get to chapter 15 where we are today, he kind of pulls it all together to remind these Corinthians of what is most important. What is most important? And that's what he says right here in the passage. Look with me at 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 1. He says, now I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the gospel, the good news, which I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. He's saying, I years ago shared news with you about Jesus, his death, and his resurrection. You believed it. You received it. It changed you. It formed you as a community. It's kind of made you who you are as a community, and it is saving you. It is actually delivering you. It is guiding you. It is rescuing you. It is transforming you. Yes, it saved you when you believed, and yes, it will save you when Christ comes again, but it's also changing you. 
It's rescuing you in the midst of all of this brokenness, all these troubles. It's the gospel. It's the gospel. And the gospel is the good news that Christ died for our sins and rose again on the third day. And in this letter, Paul is going to emphasize the resurrection as a sort of centerpiece and foundation of that gospel hope. And so the question I want to ask for us as a community that's lived in the midst of a divided time with brokenness and weariness and pain and grief and dark things we've faced, do you want the resurrection to be true? Do you want it to be true? That might seem like a silly question when you're here on an Easter Sunday, but I think for many of us, we try to operate our lives as if we didn't need it to be true. We want to kind of build a kind of life where we don't need to be rescued, where we don't need to be saved from anything. Look at what it says in the passage. It says, by which you are being saved. Saved is a hard word. It's a hard word in our culture because it says that there's something that we can't rescue ourselves from. The sort of post-enlightenment kind of like uh, narrative is that with enough technology, enough reason, enough kind of like medical advancements, we can kind of get ourselves out of any situation. We can build towards some sort of utopic environment. And so if we just kind of put the right effort, if we get people to think the right way and we teach people the right things, we can make our way towards something better. And we've seen over this past year kind of where that's gotten us. We still can be brought to our knees globally through an invisible virus where divisions can rip apart not just like different people groups, but households and families and parents from their children and people that were in a small group and people that were in a church that thought we kind of share a worldview together. We feel how fragile the world is. We feel how brokenness is not just out there, but it's within me as I feel resentment or arrogance or frustration or despair or sadness or whatever it is. And so in past Easter's, I would have to kind of stand up here and try to convince everybody that the world was broken and needed a savior. I don't think I have to do that this year. We see that the world is broken. The question that we have to ask is, what are you doing with the brokenness that you see? What are you doing with it? How do you handle it? There are different ways. You can kind of approach it in this sort of like endlessly optimistic, striving kind of like posture. Like if I just work my way around, if I figure out this thing, and if I mitigate these risks, and if I press into this, and if I change this, and if I just have this conversation, and if people would just kind of understand this thing, we can make our way through. I can get my business through it. I can get my family through it. I can get my community through it. I can get my whatever it is. I can get our church through it. This is my default mode of operation. Like, I I can find a way through this and just kind of go, 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 and, and just try to fix it. Just try to fix it. And that can help things. You can mitigate some problems. You can solve some stuff. You can do some good. But when you put that sort of weight on your shoulders, it will eventually, and I say this from experience, crush you with exhaustion, burnout, fatigue, emotional callousness. I have been there. When I try to fix the world, whether my little world or our church or anything in society on my own, it's crushing. Some people don't move towards that. Some people move towards just anxiety and anger. Right? If we can blame somebody, we can blame the progressives, we can blame the conservatives, we can blame the church, or we can blame the school administrators, or we can blame my employer, or we can blame government officials locally, we can blame somebody somewhere. If we can just find somebody to blame for this pain, then I have some sense of an outlet. 
right? It's an outlet for pain. The pain is real. The brokenness is real. And some of the pain and brokenness warrants anger. But when you don't know how to process that anger, when you don't know how to actually trust God with those things, and you just look to blame people, then resentment starts building up within you. You start just getting angry at people like somebody's to blame, and you lash out, and it creates divisions and tensions and angst. And for some people, it's just distraction. It's distraction or numbing. You find some way to take the edge off the pain. You just start drinking a little more than you used to. Start turning to weed or narcotics or opioids of some kind. You just start mindlessly finding any escape route to some alternative reality, like through TV or streaming something, right? You've watched every episode of every decent series that's available on Netflix, Amazon Prime, Hulu, HBO Max, Disney Plus, Apple TV, Peacock, that's a thing, Peacock, like you've watched it all and you're like, because every day it's like, I just want to escape and like minimize the angst and the tension I feel. What are you doing with it? And as much as we try to push away from the brokenness, try to fix it, try to blame somebody else for it, try to just numb it, what we're missing is the opportunity to say, yes, the world is broken. Do you believe the world is broken? We said, we do. It's broken. Do you see the shadows deepen? We do. Do you know that all the dark won't stop the light from shining through? We do. That's what the resurrection says. It says the light will break through. And so when you embrace the brokenness and the honesty, and instead of trying to fix it all on your own, instead of trying to get angry at somebody, instead of just trying to numb and distract, and you just turn to Jesus and say, it's broken. We need a savior. We need somebody to save us. Paul says, that's the good news. That's the good news that I preach to you, that, that you receive, that you're standing in, that's saving you. That's the news. It's a worldview. And so he says what it is right here in the passage. He explains it. For, for, I... Sorry, for I delivered to you as of first importance, the most important thing, the centerpiece, the thing that you cannot lose. There can be different perspectives on different things. The most important thing, the main thing that unifies us as a people, which Paul received himself, is that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he rose again on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. This is the good news, it's the gospel. But it's not just a kind of event that happened in a vacuum. It's not just something that happened randomly almost 2,000 years ago. A guy died on a cross. They claim he rose again from the dead, and somehow that magically changes everything. A key, a key to understanding what he's saying is this word, in accordance with the Scriptures. Paul's actually putting the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus in the context of a story or a meta-narrative a kind of way of thinking about reality. A meta-narrative is a story that we use in our mind to make sense of our experiences, that we have this sense of there's a place where we've come from, there's a place where we are, and there's a place where we're headed, this story. In a sort of, again, modern era, enlightenment era, the story was like we are just kind of like biological beings that are progressing our way, and with kind of evolutionary psychology and technology and medicine, we're going to get better and better and better, and that story just got its teeth kicked through the pandemic. He's got his teeth kicked through the pandemic. And then there's the postmodern story, which is like, there's really no beginning. We can't agree. We can't agree on the end. Who really knows? So just squeeze as much pleasure as you can out of life and mitigate, like kind of minimize the pain as much as you can and kind of like let people do their, do their own thing. Well, there's no hope in that one either. What Jesus is done and what Paul is saying is that the crucifixion and resurrection is a part of a story that actually explains to the world that you have a creator 
who designed the world in beauty and goodness with love and righteousness and peace and rest and hope where, where humans are supposed to live in relationship with the divine, with their creator, the life giver and the lover of their souls and then to express that to one another in different gifts with different personalities and as cultures multiplied with different cultural differences with a sense of love and appreciation and honor and unity and creativity and it would have been beautiful. Beautiful, all the beauty we see, the kids singing and the pretty dresses and the flowers and all this stuff. This is like, that's, that's what it was designed to be. And then when humanity said no to God, we're gonna find our own way to joy. We reject the reign of the creator and we say we're gonna map our own path to life and we're gonna figure this out on our own. The Bible calls that sin. It's rebellion against the creator king and in that sin, we separate ourselves from his presence and now we experience darkness and pain and death and disease and COVID-19 and division and resentment and racism and family divisions and anger towards one another and addictive behaviors and loneliness and isolation and all the things that just suck all the life out of life. And Jesus came into that darkness into that darkness to deal with not just the effects of our sin, but with the root cause of it. This is what the crucifixion is, that Christ died for our sins. The one who is full of love and kindness and patience and goodness and peace and gentleness and servant-heartedness, faithful to the Father and loving towards everybody, full of grace, full of truth. That Jesus of Nazareth was betrayed by his closest friends. He was falsely accused. He was wrongfully condemned. He was sentenced to death. They took him and they ripped his clothes off and began to whip him and beat him. They flogged him. They mocked him and jeered him and they marched him up a hill where they nailed him to a cross, putting nails through his arms and his legs. And there he is, the perfect human, the God-man, crucified. And as he's on the cross, He's crying out, even to his last breath, things like, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And his heart's beating, and maybe it's beginning to slow down. And he cries out again, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he cries out again, it is finished. And he gives up the ghost. And he's gone. He breathed his last, he was dead. And the disciples around him who had put all their hope in him, their trust in him, like the one that they thought, he loved me, he forgave me, he treated me like nobody had ever done. He accepted me, he washed me, he healed me, he changed me. We were hoping he was the one that was gonna fix the world. That's what they said. We had hoped that he was the one to bring the kingdom, the way things were supposed to be, and now he's dead. And so that Friday night, they take him down and he's buried in a tomb. A huge stone is rolled over the grave. And the disciples are stuck in their bewilderment and their confusion, their sadness. And then it was that Easter morning when the ground began to shake. And the stone was rolled away and his heart started beating again. And Jesus, the Son of God, rises from the dead he walks out into the world, not merely as a, look, I really am who I said I was, but as the beginning of all things being made new, as the beginning of a new creation where broken things can be healed, dead things can be made alive, divided things can be reconciled. And he goes and begins kind of bringing this life and breathing this life out on people. We have Mary who had experienced his love in her life, but now she's grieving in the garden and, and Jesus comes up to her and says, Mary, 
She falls at his feet, Rabboni, feeling the hope that this resurrected Jesus gives. He meets with Peter, Peter who had just denied him and run from him in the ways that we all do. We find ways again to just like avoid Jesus and Peter had done that and Jesus meets Peter and reminds him of his love and that he has value and he's gonna use Peter to accomplish his kingdom purposes. He appears to the 12 and he tells them about his grace and his resurrection power and meets them in their fear and their confusion. He meets with over 500 people and these 500 people would lay down their lives. They would sacrifice everything to spread the good news that Jesus Christ died for our sins and on the third day he rose again. And that news has continued to spread from community to community, city to city, nation to nation, generation to generation for 2,000 years that we gather today as a people in the middle of a world where people are all over this planet worshiping Jesus as the crucified and risen king of the universe. This is the gospel. It is the good news. And it's this good news of the resurrection that gives us hope in everything that's been broken. The resurrection says your broken past can be redeemed. Your broken past with the failures you've had can be redeemed. The resurrection says that broken relationships can be restored. They can be. It says divided communities can be reconciled. It says that the chains of addictions can be broken. It says that sin can be forgiven and that people who have found their lives angry and angsty can find love and joy and peace and patience and gentleness flowing out from them. It says that suffering will give way to glory and the resurrection says the dead will rise. And this is the hope of the resurrection. The resurrection says that Jesus has the power to restore and redeem everything that's been broken. And ultimately it says that in the end, the beauty of God will triumph over the brokenness. This is the resurrection hope. This is what we celebrate on Easter. Let's pray. Now Jesus, we uh, thank you for your love and we pray that your resurrection power right now all over this room and all over this city would be experienced. Just like you appeared to Mary, you appeared to Peter, you appeared to the 12, you appeared to the 500, you appeared to Paul later on. The way you appeared to people in the midst of the broken things that they had, their shame, their fear, their guilt, their regrets, your presence brought life and hope to them. And I pray you would do it here and now to us. That the fact that you are alive will give life and hope for people that have never known you, never known the life and the hope that you give, God, I pray that you would, just like you rose from the dead, that you would make their sort of, the deadness of their heart come alive. That they would see you, see your love. That they would trust you and wanna follow you. For men and women that have been following you for a long time, but this year feel weary, weathered, complacent, beat down. God, would you, through your resurrection power, revive us again. Revive us with love for you, love for one another, love for the world that you've called us into. And fill us with your spirit as joyful, hopeful, life-giving, resurrection people. We need your Holy Spirit to do it, Lord, and we pray that you would, in Christ's name, amen. Thanks for listening. Park Church exists to make disciples of Jesus for the glory of God and for the joy of all people. If you enjoyed this, make sure you share it with someone. We'd also love to hear from you on social media. Find us with at Park Church Denver. Lastly, more resources and info are available online at parkchurch.org.
peace and love.